going to your butt. <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome to episode 104 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast, the MLB Eve edition, Mary. Join as always by Mary, a woman who actually thinks that Pedro Serrano was a real live person. I am just a disappointing rainout named Darren. Play ball, Mayor. How are we doing? What? You had to bring rainout up. Also oh, known as right. the gr- also known as the Bad great memories for you. Also known as the great halt of baseball in 2016. Oh god, I know you had you had, you had the Cubs where you wanted losing in the ninth. Anyway, so what's going on? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Doing well. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded. I think the last episode we did was with Wayne Motts, right? It I was. Believe. Yep. And that was a good time. We had a lot of fun with that. And um and so we've uh, decided since the guest thing has been going so well, apparently yep. we're going to do this again today. It is the tail end of um, of International Women's Month, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And so we decided we want to do an episode on, on a woman named Harriet Wood, who people know as Pauline Cushman. And when you're going to talk about Pauline Cushman, there's only really one person to bring in, and that is the great MJ Hennion, who is a living historian who portrays Pauline Cushman. So welcome aboard, Pauline. Why, thank you so much very kindly. You are very <laughs> kind folks in your hospitality. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? Are you excited for opening day tomorrow? I am excited for opening day. Um, I'm a Yankees fan and uh, playing San Francisco. Kind of weird. Yeah. Usually oh, how does San Francisco connection with Pauline later on? Well, there is. We'll see, that. see, the Yankees you know? are doing it for me. So that's that's true. And, and Pauline Cushman did spend a little time in Massachusetts. So there's your Red Sox connection. And she never saw a World Series. That's Mary's connection. So it's perfect. Everything works out just right. What? So we're looking forward to talking about this today. So yeah, so we'll have, we'll have a lot of fun talking yeah. about this. And so so before we get started, there's always business to, to be had. And since I'm a gracious host, Mary, I will start. And of course, what are you drinking on this fine evening? I am drinking Ski the East, uh, out, which is made by a brewery in Vermont. And I am drinking it out of my, I'm not going to show it on here because it never shows up because I have a Zoom background, but I am drinking it out of my Sarah Edmonds mug, who she was also a Union Army spy as well as a nurse during the Civil War. Uh, we talked about her before in an episode. She was from Canada. She ran away from home to get away from a arranged marriage and she decided to become part of the civil war so some of her story is in a way similar to pauline cushman's very good i'm almost afraid to ask but what are you drinking mj oh well in my cup my yankees cup go yankees (laughs) a staple of major cushman's life whiskey maker's mark there's only one one of our favorites wow First time whiskey. Myself, I'm drinking, it is called uh, Northwest IPA, which is a little beer from somewhere around here. And I'm drinking out of my proud Red Sox mug, which is similar to the one that David Ortiz drank out of after the 03, the 04 ALCS when they came back. <laughs> you don't even know the last time they won that and, uh, series. Well, there's so been come on. so many. It's been tough to keep track, MJ. So we're keeping fun of that. So it's a good time. And spring is coming, baseball's in the air, and we're coming into that battle season. But before we do, we're going to talk about Pauline Cushman, who I think a lot of people know who she is, but I think a lot of people don't quite understand, you know, how fascinating she is. She's somebody who you look at and you go, wow, how do I not know more about her? You know, born Harriet Wood. She's born in New Orleans on June 10th of 1833. She is the daughter of some immigrants. Her father was a dry goods merchant, I believe, from Spain. and Her mother was from France. And uh, they eloped and emigrated to America. And they moved to New Orleans and eventually to Grand Rapids, Michigan, by the late 1830s or so. She, um, her family had set up that trading post you know, for, these, for the Native Americans. And reportedly, young Pauline was the apple of the eye of many of the Native Americans. Mary, rumor has it she even had proposed marriages to her. But she was somebody who, you know, she grew up with seven brothers. And she was kind of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but she was kind of a tomboy, right? She was somebody who learned how to shoot guns she knew how to learn how to ride canoes and she's somebody who grew up in a heavy male environment in that in that area where she was that's absolutely correct darren she was uh, hung out with all the brothers of course and i can't imagine having that many brothers though that uh, i give her credit for that but she also hung out a lot with members of the chippewa tribe out there once they got out to grand rapids michigan and she, like 
like you said, she learned how to hunt, how to fish, how to ride a horse, not side saddle, mind you. (laughs) And many of these skills she is going to use later in life during her espionage activities. Yeah, I mean, she just imagined how it must have been. I mean, she, by all accounts, by, you know, she was probably kind of bored living in Michigan. She's somebody who I think wanted to see the bright lights and, and she wanted to become an actress like a lot of people do. And by age 18, she's going to leave the family and she's going to move to New York City and she's going to chase her dream, which sounds like a poison song from back in the day, if I remember correctly, but that's okay. <laughs> but, but, but like most, when she moved from Michigan to New York City, she realized that New York City was kind of a tough place to be. I mean, it was a wretched hive of scum and villainy, as somebody once said about it. And especially for an 18-year-old, you can imagine how tough it must have been for her to find work in that situation, right? It was. It was. She had heard all the stories about New York being this grand city, and she was definitely wanted adventure. She thought that she would be able to just kind of move right in and take over, which she did with many things in her life. One of the things that I admire about her She's actually going to change her name. Uh, she's going to uh, capture yeah, she, a stage name. She is. And, and she, she, for whatever reason, she realized that Harriet Wood wasn't going to cut it. So Mary, she actually changed her name to Zoe Deschamps. No, she changed oh it to Pauline Cushman. Right? And so she was somebody who, like a lot of folks, um, she took a stage name. So people, and she took a lot of different names as her life went on. But she kind of had that prototypical actress upbringing right up to the name change, which I always thought was so fascinating when, when you look at it. Well, she wrote off of, she had read a lot about of a very famous actress of the time when she got there, Charlotte Cushman. So I think she wanted to kind of maybe write off the coattails of that name a little bit. So she fastened herself a new name and Pauline Cushman, the actress was born. Nice. And she, and it sounds like, you know, by all accounts, she probably probably got a little tired of the New York City life, and she actually went back to New Orleans. And, and she took full advantage. I mean, she was somebody, I mean, just, just picture what she was like. I picture her being almost like a Mae West. She had that full figure. They said she had seductive charms both on and off the stage. And she was somebody who people were just attracted to. She was one of those personalities that people were drawn to. One man who was drawn to her pretty early was a guy named Charles Dickinson, who was a music teacher, and she's somebody who she would actually marry on her first marriage. And after getting married, they're going to move off to Cleveland, Ohio. So that's the, there you go, the Mary. Cleveland the Cleveland connection. Right? There we yeah. go. Yeah. And, so sad. <laughs> she, but she, she wants to she wants to be near Charles' family, and they actually had two children initially. Sadly, both would die. There's a daughter named Ida and a son named Charles. And it was the beginning of kind of a sad aspect of her life that would kind of continue all the way through it. So when, when the Civil War starts, Charles is going to enlist in the 41st Ohio, and he's going to be enlisted as a musician. Now, this sadness will continue because Pauline is going to lose her husband pretty quickly. He's going to die, and depending on – and you, you probably know this – depending on the records, either October or December of '62. And it said that he died of dysentery, but I looked up the death notice and it said he died of congestion of the brain. So either way, one end or the other, he didn't make it, which is a tough situation for Pauline. There's a lot of mystery surrounding the death of her first husband. Um, In my research, I've read the dysentery. I've read the congestion of the head. I have also found dies of blunt force trauma. Wow. So not really sure what happened there. That's to be left up to interpretation by folks, I guess. Yeah, either way, unfortunately, he didn't make it. And by, you know, Pauline, you know, she was not even quite 30 yet. And and she's a single woman again. And she's going to decide to return to the stage under under the name Pauline Cushman. And her stage presence really didn't miss a beat, and she was a sensation. Now we talk; we're going to talk a lot about her Civil War prowess, but not a lot is not a lot is talked about how good of an actress she was. And I think you know we talk a lot about the, the people who were famous actors at the time, and she was somebody. I don't know. I'm not an expert on stage and theater, but I mean, I picture her as that vaudeville type. 
the type who, who, you know, she was loud and boisterous and all the guys loved her. And she was, you know, you know, kind of, you know, kind of like, um, like a Mae West type. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I imagine her to be. And she was somebody who certainly, um, was up for it. And April, April of 1863, Cushman's going to find herself in Louisville, Kentucky. And this is performing in the lead of a play called the seven sisters. And this was like a burlesque extravaganza featuring single women and dancers. And, you know, just imagine. And it was actually originally produced by Laura Keene, of all people, speaking of actresses, who would find herself at Ford's Theater on April 14th, 1865, performing Our American Cousins. So there's a connection there about the specific play. And if you read the reviews of Cushman's play, it was described as rubbish. The New York Clipper newspaper said in their review that, Women wore shockingly low-neck dresses and tight-fitting clothes. Oh, the harm. That, that's what the, I, I look up the review, and that's what it said. Wow. So. It was like a totally different time. Everyone's a critic. <laughs> oh, can you imagine that? You know, but, but I mean, Kentucky, I mean, at, at, the, at the time during the Civil War, was also a tough place to be, specifically, you know, politically. It was a border state that pushed neutrality. We talked a lot about that. But it had a hard-leaning Union and Confederate sympathies, so it was kind of split. The Union of the town of Louisville was basically controlled by the Union, but it was also filled with a lot of Confederates. This is a lot of former prisoners of war who stuck around. It was a political powder keg, if you really think about it. And all it really needed was someone to kick it in the butt and piss them off. And the theater was kind of no different. I mean, these crowds tended to be split north and south, depending on the, on the performances. And you have to imagine, depending on the content, it, it must have been very uncomfortable. It was the kind of place where chairs were thrown, fistfights were, you know, crazy fistfights. Something you would see in an old Western movie or a Tuesday night in Goderich, Ontario. Or One Waffle the, House. Kind of, or the, the, or waffle. the Waffle House. Or Waffle or, House. Or... <laughs> Or the, the Howard statue with you two, okay, come to think true. of it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> that is a, so just another to, episode for another day. So you can kind of set the scene now of what that must have been like with this this almost a Wild West crowd, uh, how that must have been for these for these performers and, and the people who came to see it. Mm. Absolutely. And Cushman was very well known. She had family that fought with the Confederacy. She was staying loyal to the Union. She was friends, though, with um, folks of both sides. Mm -hmm. She did like hanging out with the boys, drinking whiskey and playing cards and things like that. So that is how she would end up making these friendships and these connections. And that leads into one night she is going to... um, be visited by a couple of Confederate sympathizers. That is really what kickstarts her career into being a spy. Um, Cushman was a great actress and many of them at the time, all the boys are off fighting. They're gonna Mm -hmm. play both male and female roles in these productions, which again is going to help her in her espionage. Yeah, and to your point, this is where the legend of Pauline Cushman really takes off. It really, really was. And, and you know, it, depending on the details, and we talked about this before, and a lot of this stuff is word of mouth. And that's what's fun about this because, you know, it, it's, there's no right or wrong sometimes. It's just, it's just opinion. But the story is that two paroled Confederate officers or men are going to come in, and they're going to offer Pauline a bunch of money. Uh, to alter her performance, depending on who, where you've read, I've seen it as little as three hundred. I've seen as high as three thousand. They've offered her, so somewhere in the middle. Either way, it's good money that they're offering her. Absolutely, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a scene where Pauline's character in, this, in the Seven Sisters play is going to raise a glass and make a toast, and the two Rebs want her to change the performance and toast Jefferson Davis instead. Now, it just again. This is a the state of Kentucky, a border state where people are, I don't want to say 50-50, but there's a lot of animosity. There's a lot of proud union people, a lot of proud red people. There's drinking. This is a place with fist, fist fights. You can kind of see where this is going. Pauline is not stupid either. She knew how it was going to go over and how that Louisville crowd uh, was. So, you know, 
she told them, you know, to basically, you know, let me think about it. And what she's going to do is she is going to go visit the U.S. provost in Louisville, a guy named Colonel Orlando H. Moore. And she kind of asked him, you know, here's the deal. You know, what should I do? I kind of kind of need the money. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to piss people off. I, I really like not to get killed, but I feel like I need to tell you this. So, you know, what do you think I should do? And to, to her surprise, what does he tell her? Well, Colonel Moore tells her, Pauline, I have an idea. I think you should take that money. He tells her to YOLO. He says YOLO, <laughs> right? He, bas he basically says, I want you to take the money and I want you to do it. But, what, but tomorrow or the day after you do it, I want you to come back and see me. Be very specific orders, okay? So Pauline's like, well, 300 bucks, 3,000, whatever it is, pretty damn good money. So the night of the performance, it comes and Pauline is, is going to give that dinner toast that, that scene has arrived. And when, when, it, when it does, she stands up, she's going to raise from the table, she's going to raise her glass, and she's going to say what? Do you know the quote? Well, I do know uh, off the top of my head, I'll be honest with you, I don't know the quote, but she is going to toast Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy. She's going to say, here's to Jeff Davis and the Southern Confederacy. May the South always maintain her honor and her rights. Wow. That's what she's going to say. And as you can imagine, the crowd, you know, the, the, the expectation of the crowd, just exactly how that was. The San Francisco Examiner, they wrote about this. They wrote, the sentiment fell upon the audience like a bombshell. All the union persons present were mortified and indignant. While the Southern sympathizers were delighted. And then they wrote... She was the Confederate heroine of the hour. So you can literally imagine how this must have been at this very moment. Um, as happy as the as the as the Rebs were, many of the North, many of the Northern sympathizers were, were about as thrilled as a disgruntled DQ employee on a hot summer day, Mary. <laughs> the theater owner, the theater owner promptly fired her ass, which was probably yes. expected at the point. So she finds herself out of a job. And she finds herself kind of the, at the ire of, of a lot of the people in Kentucky. But she does follow orders and she does go see more the next day. And what happens? Well, he's going to. And this is where, again, the um, the legend of Pauline Cushman continues, right. where he is going to put her into work into the Secret Service. Um, he's going to offer her, but he, he requires her to take another oath to the union. Right. And really what she did, she felt she sacrificed. She's sacrificing her career for the union. She's sacrificing too. Now her kids are being taken care of by her sister-in-law and her in-laws. And um, I think she was also sacrificing and risking her life, maybe never see her kids again. Mm -hmm. And I've always wondered, many people consider her story very heroic, but it's also very tragic. And some people even said she was a bad mother for leaving her children behind. Well, she really didn't know a trade. How is she going to take care of two kids as a young widow? Yeah. The only thing she really knew was acting, and she would do. That's what she would do is act and send money to help support her children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't a bad mother. She, no. They were always in her thoughts. She was sacrificing a lot to do this. Yeah. She's also not the first, like, or I shouldn't say first, but the only mother in the Civil War to leave her children behind. John Brown Gordon's wife left their children behind. I think it was with... Um, her mother or either his mother to look after because John Brown Gordon's wife was like, I'm going to go with my husband and help him out. She was with them throughout the entire civil war. So like, she's not the only mother to do this. And obviously that does not make you a bad mother to do that. You're trying to make life better for your children in the long run. But it must, it must've been quite a dilemma though, because the thing about it though, is she, she had a skill set where she could act. She was a heroine in the South. She was really good at what she did as far as the acting goes. But you have to wonder, everyone, everyone in any situation in daily life has that, has that dilemma where you got to kind of make that leap of faith. And I think for her, I think she felt that it was a, there was an opportunity here to do something <laughs> that could make a difference. And I think that was a big part of it. I mean, 
so her that acting skills really going to take in, into into play into her hands. But she was also her personality was such that she was very attractive. She was that person that everyone gravitated to for just the way she was. And Pauline spying stories, you know, um, they they tell of her skills, but. And we, and we talk about a handful of these, but, you know, there's that one time where she's going to she's going to basically pose one time as a southern woman in a boarding house. And this is one of her famous stories where she's going to discover that the house's mistress is planning to poison some union boys who are staying at the boarding house. And she's going to mix and poison their food or their drink or whatever. But Cushman is going to help move those union guys to a different place just and basically save their lives and have the mistress arrested. So. These are the type of things initially that she did. It was almost like the training ground where she built more confidence in the things that she really ultimately was going to come later on for her. Absolutely. I mean, she, this is, she's going into it pretty blind. I mean, there is no spy school at the time. And is a spy school just, now? I, I can't talk about that. Damn, I'm going back. It's classified. It's classified. But... Uh, so for her to start doing this, and again, it wasn't just her looks, it was her magnetic personality. Mm -hmm. And just people wanted to be around her, she could draw a crowd. And two, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't at tea parties, she wasn't hanging out knitting or anything. She liked being around, she was more of a tomboy, liked being around the boys. Now whiskey, we mentioned whiskey earlier. Cushman had a problem with alcohol all her life whiskey was introduced to her when she was a teen by the chippewas and mm -hmm. this is going she loved it she indulged in it and ultimately you know over the years so is she an alcoholic absolutely yes is it something that's going to help end her life in 1893 absolutely but that's why people just wanted to kind of hang out and talk with her and just be around her. She's got that magnetic personality. Like, you know how, like, everybody liked to be around Robert E. Lee, like yeah. all of his supporters and the men, they were just drawn to him. And in researching Cushman over the, over the years, that's what I have found. They just wanted to be near her. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, in, in an age where Victorian women were kind of trying to be prim and proper, this is a woman who was chewing tobacco, throwing back whiskey, one of the boys and you can you i mean you can imagine how attractive she was to a lot of these kids it was the other time speaking of men she dressed up as a man cushion pretended to be an undercover southern soldier or courier traveling from canada of all places to richmond nice and to deliver some important <laughs> some info asap to confederate authorities to help infiltrate a ring of confederate smugglers and she's able to convince one of them a rebel woman who was working in a southern underground of her, of, of her mission. And she was reporting back to Colonel Moore all along. And because of this, she was able to arrest this woman and some of her associates and capture some documents that this woman was clearly smuggling. So during, so during these events, she was becoming a little more brazen. She was becoming a little more gutsy in what she was doing. She was, and she was certainly gaining confidence. And all these events, you know, clearly was, was one that was setting her up for her biggest job, which we're going to talk about, which is going to come in the summer of 1863. Now, where we talked before, you probably don't remember, but we <laughs> talked a lot about the Tullahoma campaign. We talked about Rosecrans and Bragg. Yeah. Heading into the summer of 1863, I'm just going to re I'm just going to refresh your memory because you know you never know. The uh, the Union Army of the Cumberland, Cumberland under William Rosecrans is going to be encamped in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and while the Confederate Army of Tennessee under fun lover Braxton Bragg, we're going to talk about. <laughs> Old he, was he was maintaining a defensive position in the mountains between Murfreesboro and Chattanooga. And Pauline Cushman basically was sent to Nashville at this time and, and, and was assigned by a guy named Colonel William Truesdale and to gain intel for Rosecrans' army. This was the setup for the Tullahoma campaign. Now, this was going to be no milk run. This was this was this was a, a, a real dangerous situation. This wasn't sending Merritt out the packy to pick up some IPAs. Okay, <laughs> this 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 is this was a real this was something that was really dangerous and really important because what she was going to do, she's going to gain basically gain information on Confederate troop numbers, their movements, how well they were defended, how the fortifications were all built out, where the Rosewoods clown was. She had to get all <laughs> this information for all of it. 
to prepare for this very important Tullahoma campaign. And the way she, she did this was, was very fascinating. I know, um, I know this, is, this is really where the rubber meets the road for Pauline Cushman, where really the legend of her really takes off when the people really study her spy activities. Indeed. Um, the thing with Cushman that I've discovered is that she did not like to follow rules. She didn't like somebody telling her what to do, per se. And one of the things that she used between her acting abilities, also, she had a great memory. So Colonel Moore and then Colonel Truesdale do never take anything, Pauline, never take anything, commit everything to memory. And most of the time she did that. Uh, she would use uh, different, different ways to get information and get in and out of the lines, whether she was posing as a, as a Confederate uh, young man in the ranks or she was uh, one of her guises was to pose to look for her, her brother yeah. And that's what kind of got her into uh, the area of getting this information from Braxton Bragg. And she's going to pose as this, this hopeless sister looking for her Confederate brother, you know, roaming the countryside. And, and, and she was, you know, very anxious and she was able to break the lines that way. And for that reason, she was able to enter a lot of the Confederate camps. Mm -hmm. It would spend the next few months of her life spying right under the noses of the Rebs in Tennessee. Now, you know, behind this Confederate lines, you know, rumor has it, you know, just saying that she was quite the popular woman with the <laughs> rebel officers, just saying, MJ, oh, gosh. And who, were, who were more than happy to listen as they told her all their galleon tales of, of everything they did, which she was, to your point, she was duly noting in her memory of what they were doing. You know, playing a role of this teary sister, hopelessly looking for her brother, She's going to sneak into these rebel, these rebel camps while gathering this intel that Rosecrans was looking for. And we'll talk more about some of the details here in a little while about this whole thing. But suffice it to say, she's going to receive a letter of, self pa of safe passage to Shelbyville, Tennessee, which is the headquarters of Braxton Bragg, mm -hmm. where, she's going to, where, she's, where she met and became very friendly with a rebel engineer who helped develop those rebel fortifications. So I don't know if she was selling Girl Scout cookies or what she was doing, but she became very close with this guy. Just saying, okay? It's now, MJ, MJ, exactly. MJ mentioned earlier, she was warned by Truesdale not to take anything. Just don't. No yeah, matter what Basically you do, to commit it all to memory, which... Because if you get caught with uh, stuff... Yeah, you're done. It's going to be a bad day for mother if you get caught. Yeah. So you don't, you don't want to take anything. Memorize what you saw and just and try to write them out later. And so while she's in this Confederate camp, she, she was with that rebel engineer who was drawing up plans for fortifications. And she was kind of sitting there pretending not to pay attention to them. And, oh, look at that, a bird. Do, 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 do. And, <laughs> and so basically what's going to happen is, but she knew exactly what these plans were. When the rebel left the room, Cushman grabbed the plans. And again, she knew taking them was risky, but she didn't have time to memorize them. So she's going to take them and risk everything, and she's going to fold them up, and she's going to stick them in the lining of her shoe, these plans. Wow. This is like a movie. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Why isn't there a movie? I know. It's on point, like a movie, movie in my head. Like, it's like, it's so just, I don't know. It's... Well, we don't want to venerate anybody. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, we wouldn't. <laughs> but so so with this valuable intel now, now had, she's going to try to make her way back to the Union lines. And the thing about it, though, is because she stuck the plans in her shoe, it created somewhat of a limp or it affected her walk. So she's going to be walking through the woods and she's going to meet a person who's going to help sneak her back through the rebel lines back to the Union. But this guy double crosses her. This guy thinks I might be able to get a reward for this. So you know what she does? She she turns her she turns her in. The Rebs are going to catch her and they're going to search her and they're going to find the plans. And now she's now she's in for it, right? She is in for it. She um, has a uh, short meeting with Nathan Bedford Forrest where uh, he accuses her of being a spy. Makes a, believes he makes a comment similar to, I can't wait to hear your neck snap at the end of a rope. 
To which, of course, this is Nathan Bedford Forrest wow. uh, and um, Mr. Intimidating Cavalryman. And she <laughs> said, well, sir, uh, how dare you accuse me of such a thing when I am loyal to the Confederacy? And if I had my, um, because she carried a sidearm, she carried a, um, a revolver. If I had my revolver, I'd shoot you. So uh, I remember there was a story that when they, when they first caught her, that she had it with her and she couldn't bring it upon herself to shoot anybody. And then she gave the gun up. I remember reading that somewhere along the way, but either way, oh, she could she, shoot somebody. Right. But she, whatever <laughs> reason, maybe she just thought it would be better off, but she's going to, you know, she's going to be hanged by the orders of Nathan Pepper Forrest. And then, then of course the Braxton Bragg. And, this is, <laughs> and sometimes in life, whether you can act or not, it's better to be lucky than to be good. Right. Normally, catching typhoid fever would not be something that would be considered a lucky thing, whether she had it or not. But regardless, this catching of this is going to be the greatest luck of her entire life. That's true. She's going to get sick. And you can't hang a sick person. You have to wait for them to get better. Braxton Bragg wanted her to get better. Doesn't that make now, a lot of sense if you think about it? Let's well, let her get better, thing. then we can kill her. I have to wonder if Braxton Bragg would have actually done it because in uh, in talking to some uh, folks that are historians of, of his, he did respect women. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe that played into it a little bit. I don't know. But anyway, so Pauline is going to, and of course she's an actress, she's going to sell how sick she is. Um, she is actually in custody at a physician's house. She was not thrown in a dungeon anywhere or anything, you know. Um, but she she keeps playing this off is that I'm so sick and, you know, well, she needs to get better to kill her. But um, but anyway, she also knew that a uh, friend of hers, uh, General William Rosecrans, was coming. And, and love, luck would have it. Here comes Rosecrans coming and Bragg needed yep. to hightail it out of there and leaves her behind. Yeah, so she, whether she, I mean, she would say late, years later on that, you know, that this, this is this is exactly what she did. And she probably did. I mean, she she was a very good actress, mm-hmm. uh, and she knew that Rosecrans was coming eventually, and she could run the clock out. So basically, you know, these stories are what make the history really, really great, though, because whether she was sick or not, the truth of the matter is she, she lived long enough to the Confederacy to GTFO, for Rosecrans to get in, <laughs> right? And so, and that's the thing, and that this brilliant campaign of this Tullahoma that we talked about was underway now, and they were able to drive them off. And it's going to drive Bragg's army all the way to Chattanooga, which is going to lead to the battles of Chickamauga. It goes on and on and on. Now, while she's still sick there in Shelbyville, quotation fingers, because who knows, right? The Rebs are moving out, and they decided that she is too sick to travel, ain't going to move it, so they're going to leave her behind which is going to free her from the hangman's noose. And she made a remarkable recovery, Mary and MJ. As soon as <laughs> Absolutely. It, it was kind of like as soon, as soon as the bus goes by when you're a kid, you suddenly feel a lot better yeah. you know, when you're staying home sick, you know? Yep. <laughs> she, she, she had a remar- remarkable recovery. And um, Cushman at that point is going to be sent to Nashville, where she is going to receive a telegraph from the tall guy with the hat from Washington, <laughs> Mary. Okay, bestowing her an honorary commission of major for her spy work for risking her life for the Union cause. Lincoln is going to write down. She has done more to earn her title than many a male who wore the shoulder straps of major during the war. From this point on, she was known as Miss Major Cushman. And that's where the nickname comes from. She was also presented a major's uniform and sword by a group called the Union Ladies of Nashville, and this uniform she'd proudly wear when she went out and did her speaking. Um, now, the problem with, with all this, of course, and we talked about this before, is being a spy, no one really knows what you did and really didn't do. And that's the beautiful thing about mm-hmm. this, where a lot of that gray area with Cushman comes in. And you, whether it be Bell Boyd or Sarah Slater or Sarah Edmonds, there's a lot of gray area of what a lot of these people do because it kind of kills your career you know, um, when you become famous, if you're a spy, because guess what? You can't be a spy anymore. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows you're a spy. And that's going to end Cushman's career in espionage for the most part. Indeed, it is. There is a lot of information that we just don't know. Is it out there somewhere? Who knows? Who knows? 
Um, but there were records. She was actually paid as a major. I gave mm-hmm. uncovered records, paymaster records. Um, she also in um, September 1864, I think it was. Well, she got they they were behind paying her a little bit. So she got a little mad and wasn't getting anywhere with the uh, paymaster. So she paid a visit to good old President Lincoln. Oh, nice. And well, um, she got paid very um, quickly, very quickly after that. <laughs> so so but there is and like I said, there's the, the thing of with portraying her as I do in living history, I'm always looking for, for things. And I don't think you can ever stop learning. So, so, you know, to find pay records or to find things that, that lead more to the reality of the situation. You know, like you said, mm-hmm. with a spy, you never really know. Can something be embellished? Of course it can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can it be the truth? Of course it can too. You don't, you don't really know. So finding these tidbits in history, and research just over the years. And, you know, I'm hoping that there is still stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Well, memories, you know, memories are one of those things that life goes on. I, I say this all the time. When I was in high school, high school football, I caught one pass. Five years later, it was a touchdown. 10 years later, it was a game-winning touchdown. <laughs> Today, we won the state title because of this catch. That's what happens. It gets embellished. When she's going to leave the Army, she's going to go back to her stage days. Because she can't spy anymore, so she's going to be on a one-woman show for P.T. Barnum, you know, the circus guy, Mary. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be discussing her stories called The Spy of the Cumberland and the Greatest Heroine of the Age. So she's going to be kind of going on like a, that Charlie Sheen winning tour. She's going to be going around to talk about <laughs> it, right? Now, her story, the thing about it, though, is her story was very popular. And uh, one of Cushman's friends, a guy named Ferdinand Sarmiento, he is going to write a biography about her called The Life of Pauline Cushman, the Celebrated Spy and Scout. And it was published in 1865, and it was full of intrigue. It, it had interviews with Pauline in it. And, you know, Cushman is going to be telling her stories. And, it's again, it's impossible to prove whether these there, was, there were exaggerations. Some people accused her of exaggerating, whatever. But the good news is the spy work, for the most part, um, you, you can't disprove them. That's the thing is mm-hmm. it, it's it's word of mouth and people love a good story. And whether she's a great actress or not, and she certainly was, it doesn't diminish you know, what she did. Um, when the war does end by the 1870s, you know, Cushman is going to find herself living in San Francisco, California. We talked at the very beginning. And by 1872, she's going to find herself married again. And, and, and unfortunately, she'll become a widow again wow. very, very yeah. quickly. Can't tell you and, what happened there. <laughs> I mean, a lot. I mean, truly, her husband's identity and and how, and how he died is up for debate. This 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 guy. This is this. Depending on who you read, some people say that no one knows who he is, but who, who the hell knows? But it's August Fincher. August. Right. That's, that, that's one of the. That's one of the you see. But she did. She did find love again. Okay, by the name of Jeremiah Fryer. Mm. Okay, they call him Jer Fryer, and he was a hard drinking guy who was 16 years younger than Pauline and she met this guy at a oh hotel that she was running at the she time. She was a cougar. Whoa. She was the family of Jeremy's five family felt that this woman's too old for you. That they said you're, you're she's too old for you. She you know she was you know that's how it was. And they didn't matter they're, they're gonna move off. They're gonna move south to Arizona to a town known today as Casa Grande uh, Casa Grande. Okay. And this is our New York Yankee connection I was telling you about. Okay. Fun oh, fact. Wait. Okay. Since uh, MLB start is season, MLB season is starting tomorrow. Casa Grande was in Arizona was the first spring training home of the San Francisco Giants in 1962. The 1962 Giants went to the World Series and lost to who? The New York Yankees. The New York Yankees. So in the town, well, there we that, go. When the town that wow. Pauline helped found was a team that would go on to play the World Series and lose to the New York Yankees. There's your, there's your connection. God. So there you go. Much like okay. your Red Sox. Well, no, no. It depends. It wasn't because I was. Well, they lost the World that's, Series. That's, that's a cool connection, though. Well, you, know, you know what else is, is cool, though, is that um, the first game they played in 1962, Willie Mays homered in that ballpark. This was a town that Jeremy Fryer and Pauline almost literally founded. Because they much, moved yeah. down there, he was—I think he was—he was a postmaster. He was—he was doing something like that, but he had a big part of it. Her marriage to Fryer is going to fail because he was looking for love in all the wrong places. This mm. guy apparently apparently had quite the uh, the eye on him. 
as far as looking around and he sounds like he was very um unfaithful to pauline and mm-hmm. and i don't know if that was the age difference but in 1890 they're going to separate and at that point she's going to decide to move back to san francisco and move into a small boarding house that's located on 1118 market street now she's about 60 now she's getting older and, and like mj said her life has been beaten down by alcohol and tobacco I and mean, she she lived a hard hard life mm-hmm. she lived a life and she really really did and didn't she have some health problems mj didn't she have some health problems too she had uh rheumatoid arthritis very bad oh, as well she bad. was also uh, later in life she got addicted to painkillers and right. she started mixing the painkillers with the whiskey oh gosh so she was she was destitute and so and because Correct. her she had, she had arthritis so bad she was literally scrubbing floors for money with arthritis and then loading up pain kill pillars you know, killers because Correct. the pain that's how bad her life really was at the time and this is a war hero when we talk about her funeral later we'll, we'll get to that but she was at the point where even buying food was really difficult by by april of 1893 She's going to be awarded a small pension from her first her first husband, Charles Dickinson, the guy, the guy who died of the dysentery or the, the brain injury. That or she's the blunt get a force trauma. <laughs> or whatever. Yes. But she petitioned for 30 years to get that. And she finally got it. But regardless, you know, her, her life is kind, of, is kind of cruising out of control here. She's destitute, living in a boarding house. And December 2nd of 1893... She's going to be uh, in her boarding house, and the landlady is going to go into her room and is going to find her unconscious in her bed. You know, I, I think of, I think of this story, and I can't help but think of Marilyn Monroe. I just do. I, I just just a, a famous actress who painkillers, and she she's is found unconscious. I just I always thought about that when I think of her. Now she was alive initially when the doctors got there, but they told her. You know, it, it wasn't it's lost cause. They told the, the house lady. And at 2 p.m. that day, she's going to pass away. She's going to die. And the cause of her death, again, it's it's it was basically a morphine overdose, which is basically self-addict, self-put um, into her. But it was, to, it was to combat that three-plus-year battle of that rheumatism and the arthritis. And it was likely a case of accidental overdose. I know, MJ, you probably heard people – there's the suicide rumors and there's all kinds of stuff. But to me anyway, it seems pretty obvious what happened. Yeah, there was there's many people that say she committed suicide. And I look back at her life and I don't really think with the strong woman that she was, she would have ended her life on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some reports that have been found from uh, there was a couple of different autopsies done and an inquiry, and they all agreed that it was accidental overdose. I mean, sometimes the pain is so much, and your body can only take so much of it. And Correct. it wasn't nowadays. It probably is this Narcan, there's other, other things that you can yeah. take. But back then, you just take them. Not to mention the whiskey, everything that was going on. I think the the. the oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So I was going to yeah. tell the, um, the, the, the the one autopsy report that I found. She had eight times the medicinal dose. Wow. of the painkiller in her body plus she had the alcohol so yeah that that would probably affect it too obviously but i think you know we know now for more how how opioids and all that affect people that Correct. it can be accidental it can be like you can be in that much pain and be like well absolutely i'm just gonna take a little bit more and that's too much for your body to handle at that point in time and yeah i do agree with you she was such a strong woman like it does it just seems out of kind of character for her to just be like I'm going to absolutely end it now, you know, and she wasn't really eating either. She lost a lot of weight. I mean, you can, you know, now the next day on December 3rd, the San Francisco call was a newspaper. She's going to, they're going to write about Cushman's death, a childless, gray haired, penniless, broken woman, almost without friends died a lonely death in a market street lodging house yesterday. That's what it said in the newspaper the day after her death. And you know, the, the, and the story went on, but basically she was going to be buried in a potter's field, basically in a pauper's grave. She was destitute. And when this story came out of who she was and that this was going to be her end, it caused outrage in these veterans groups. You know, they find out that the major Pauline Cushman died alone, penniless, and she's going to be buried in a potter's field without a gravestone. 
and it caused it caused a real um, outroar to a point where people they raised a lot of funds. They basically raised funds to pay, funds to pay for her funeral. And so instead of this pauper's funeral, she's not receiving. They, she got so many flowers that they said when they when they that you couldn't even see the casket. There was so many flowers. Oh. Always is a big pile of flowers. That's how many flowers she got. There was a long line of mortars that led the procession to her gravesite in the Veterans Cemetery in a place called the Presidio, which is a former military base uh, near the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. But the Presidio, I don't know if you know this, Mary, but it was a former military base during the Mexican War in 1846. 1848, you know who was staying at this military base? William Sherman, Sherman yep. George Thomas. And World War One hero John Pershing would stay there later on. Wow! So this is a place that a lot of famous people did. They played taps. That was played by a bugler uh, from the Presidio. Um, there was a uh, there was a gun salute, and she received a full military funeral. Her simple white gravestone merely reads "Pauline C. Fryer, Union Spy." That almost seems so unfair. Than- <laughs> like just, I mean, just that's it. It is. It is, and and you know, like I said, she had the the heroic side of her life, but also the tragic as well. Just like many of these folks of history, mm-hmm. they they're more than just one battle. They're more than just one thing. They have the whole life, you know, uh, to look at. And and she did. She she died uh, a, a sad a sad death. And um, you know, luckily, in the years after. And that's why I chose to try to help bring her story more to life now here in the 21st century to honor her mm-hmm. and what she did. Yeah. Well, some I, of, you know, well, sorry. I was going to say, like, I think too, like just hearing that, like how the men were upset that she didn't have the honors, like that people that knew her, it reminds me of Sarah Edmonds story too, that, and now this happened when Edmonds was alive was that, she went to seek out men that she had served with because she wasn't getting a pension and she needed it. And the men were like, no, we're going to help you get this. You know, these men did respect the women back then for what they were oh, doing. Absolutely. They, they, they did, absolutely. you know, like if they like women like Sarah and, you know, like Pauline, they, they did so much and the men did respect them a lot for what they were doing. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, her, her name has kind of disappo- disappeared from the mainstream nowadays. But when you go back to 1863, 64, I mean, she was a rock star in the North. I mean, she was. She was also despised in the South. I mean, she was she, she was hated in the South more than people hate her on MJ's social media page. That's how much they can't stand her. <laughs> but that's something truth, I will though. never understand is the hate <laughs> towards Pauline Gershman. I don't get it. But, you know, they're playing the role because if you, if you went back to 1863, 64, and you were a Pauline Cushman, that's exactly the, the, the response you would have gotten, though. The people in the South saw her as this evil, you know, witch who was a spy, and people in the North saw her for what she was. She was she was a, a, a heroine who helped Rose Crantz in the Tullahoma campaign. She helped save Union lives from being poisoned. She helped steal intel that was designed to go to Richard from Canada. She was somebody who was hurting the, the Confederate cause and helping the Union cause. And that's why her story is, is, is really important to tell. And, you know, MJ, you know, we, we kind of touched on this at the very beginning with you is that, you know, you're a living historian. And, and, and so you get to tell Pauline's story and, and you've, told, you've told her story a million times. Um, and there's a lot of mysteries about her life that, that we'll never know. And if there's one thing I wish we could do, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to pull out my Ouija board and we're going to conjure old Pauline back right now. And we're going to see if we can get her back and we're going to ask her some of these stories. So let me see if this works. Okay. (laughs) Pauline, are you there? Are you there, Pauline? I think I think I hear something there. I think I hear Pauline coming. Well, absolutely. (laughs) Oh, what a nice bunch of folks here today. Well, welcome. Sorry to hear about the arthritis. I'm glad you found peace. Hopefully <laughs> everything's okay. So it's it's welcome. It's great to have you back. It's an honor to have you. So there's been many stories about you, Pauline, that have been have been I've heard and no one really knows. I heard a story that when you were going to be hanged by old Braxton Bragg, you said something along the lines of, come on, General, I don't think it'll be useful or ornamental seeing me dangling from the end of a rope. Is that a story? Is that something that you might have said to him? 
Well, I talked to a lot of generals there. Uh, good old Braxton Bragg. I believe that he was in love with me, but you know, he was <laughs> married. So, so that's why he probably stalled my hanging. And then there was General Forrest, who he was just not a very nice gentleman at all. Heard and that. I might have said that. I might have not. There are just some things that I cannot reveal. Well, I heard that when you were being captured in Shelbyville, the guards all fell in love with you. And they fanned you to keep you cool. If that's such a thing, how generally that must have been. And you oh, also enjoyed regular visits from Braxton Bragg and Nathan Bedford Forrest all waiting for your execution. You want to divulge any of those details? Well. Now don't forget your dad. No one's going to say anything. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> oh, I can say anything I want. Well, I did. <laughs> I did enjoy the company of not only the Union officers, but also some of those Southern boys as well. And let me just say, I do believe that General Forrest and General Bragg were, are still fans, even in the afterlife of me. <laughs> there are some, some things that I just had to do to serve my country. Oh, all right. Now I honestly didn't think Braxton Bragg liked anybody except maybe his pet dog. And I don't even know if he had a pet dog, but <laughs> change my mind. <laughs> And I also heard, Pauline, that you had quite the temper, though, back in the day. I've heard you you would do things. I heard sometimes you, you once you horsewhipped a man for oh, spreading rumors about your sex life. Well, because he aggravated me. And I and I yes, I did. I horsewhipped a man. I also threatened to shoot one, too, who came. My uh, husband and I, we ran a saloon out in Arizona, and he was drinking a little too much, you know, kind of like uh, Mary does in this place called Gettysburg. <laughs> Don't think I didn't know about that. General Hancock told me all about that. We talk up there. You know. I know Gettysburg was haunted. See, I told you. Absolutely. We all meet, too, and we all, you know where we go by? By the DQ. That's where we are. <laughs> I'm shocked Howard didn't tattle on me, honestly. Oh, well, he's a good Christian general. I'm still working on him. <laughs> However, uh, so a, a gentleman was having a little bit too much to drink, and he was getting very mouthy with myself and some of the other ladies that were there. And I asked him to leave, and he uh, said something very unkindly to me. So I reached beneath the bar, pulled out my trusty Colt revolver, and I threatened to shoot him if he did not immediately leave. And I started to count down from five. Uh, by the count of three, he was gone. So oh. I do have a temper <laughs> indeed. And keep that in mind. And but what are these things that y'all are wearing here? What are these? What are the, the what is that? Uh, what are these th these things you're wearing? Oh, I finally see that thing Abner Doubleday was talking about came to be. The That's baseball. great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my, my That's patch, great. My, the patch says World Series. You probably wouldn't know what that means. I'll explain it to you later on. But I also heard that you, on many an occasion, Pauline, would be so angry at men who hit on you, who you didn't want to, that sometimes you'd be willing to smash plates over their heads. I can't, now, well, I can't believe such a, a woman of such your stature would do such a thing. Well, you know what? I actually learned that from a man named Louis Armistead. <laughs> And would I do that? Absolutely. Because people be bothering me. I don't need them. I, I don't need all of these because <laughs> there are some strange people around y'all. They're just some strange oh. folks, especially in some of these gentlemen are just not up to my stature of what I like. And I will do what I have to do to get them away from me. Just y'all gentlemen out there. Remember that. <laughs> I hate to bring up one last maybe sore spot for you, Pauline Cushman. But, you know, your, your husband, you know, Jer Fryer, wasn't very faithful, okay? And I heard a story, Miss Cleo told me from the cable news, that one time you confronted your husband who was with a, his paramour and it ends up in a situation where you got in a fist fight in a mule corral and you got your butt kicked so bad that you ended up with two black eyes out of the deal. I can't imagine such a tale would ever be true. Well, the tale about the fight is true. However, let's just say that she learned a lesson not to mess with the name of Pauline Cushman. Nice. And I got <laughs> well rid of done. him. He was, he was, he was a nasty man. He was cheating on me, and he was, 
he was abusive towards me. So I had enough of him. So I probably should have shot him too, but you know, <laughs> I didn't. So I just left and I left and went my own way and making my own way in the world. And as you can see, my story is still being told all these years later. Well, there are any, are there any stories you'd like to get off your chest that maybe we haven't talked about tonight that maybe you just want to just feel better before you head back to the great the great DQ in the sky that you might want to well, talk no, about. Well, no, actually, I've, I'm going back to the bar. I've got. I've, Poor I, I, I'm having yeah. I'm having some drinks with um, with 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 some gentlemen, and all that's all I'll say. I will not name who they are. We need to protect the guilty. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, I also threatened to shoot a journalist. Did y'all mm-hmm. hear about that? Oh, wow. I did not know. There wow. was a journalist who wrote a very scandalous story about me. One night I was out. Now, he wrote it as that I was in a, I was in a stagecoach with four gentlemen. Now, would I be one to be out with four gentlemen? <laughs> Don't answer that. So I decided that that was an attack on my good character. Well, I sent him a letter and I wanted him to print a retraction and he failed to even respond to me in the beginning. I sent another letter. He said to me, he did respond to that one said, no, uh, Ms. Cushman, we will not be printing a retraction. I said, well, that's not the truth. I was with, uh, there was two ladies and two gentlemen. You don't have the story right. And he said, well, I'm not doing it. So I went down to that newspaper office and I did. I threatened to shoot him if he didn't print the retraction. And he did print a retraction. Wow. So when people get my danda up, see, I'm mostly nice and sweet and quite the lady however when my dander gets up well then you're going to see another side of the good major well for fear for fear of seeing your bad side we'll let you get back to the great beyond here and go go to the the celestial bar in the sky so pauline it's great that you uh were able to come join us this ouija board from parker brothers still is the great best invention of all time so we'll put this (laughs) thing away i appreciate the hospitality thank you major i'm gonna (laughs) I'm, I'm going to take this. There's a bottle of bourbon here. I, I, I'm going to just take that with me because you can never have too much whiskey. Never can. <laughs> so Pauline's going to head off. MJ is going to come back. So MJ, yep. you missed Pauline. It was great to see her real quick. Just stop by. That was great. What happened to my bourbon? <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> it's gone to the great DQ in the sky. Apparently. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, I, but I think at the end of the point we said earlier with this is people like Pauline Cushman, their stories are such that when you start to it's like an onion you start to study her and if you started the civil war a lot longer than people probably should you 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 know about pauline cushman and you kind of peel the levels of the onion away and you get deeper and deeper and, and find this this psychological person of who she was with her upbringing and how she pulled everything off and realize how instrumental she actually was for the union cause and somebody who really as time goes on, this fell off the history mainstream and clearly needs to be brought back on. We talked about Robert Smalls a few weeks ago. She's she's cut from that same cloth. And it's great that you do what you do. We have, we have a lot of fun with you with, with a lot of different things. But I respect the hell that you do this because nobody else does. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's All really... I thank you for that. And uh, one of the greatest things rewards that I get from doing it is, you know, just this week, I've had people send me photos of uh, whether it be displays or things they've seen online that are, some, you know, she gets featured a lot for Women's History Month on some yeah. of the history pages, or plus even libraries where there's, there's, uh, you know, books about union spies, mm-hmm. and they think of me, and they think of her. And also, too, I've had people that parents that have attended some of my programs. I do a lot of programming in Gettysburg and such through the year that have brought their kids and their daughter went as Pauline Cushman on History Day in a little uniform. And they send me pictures. And in my living history group that I'm in, we have a saying that the persona picks the person to betray them. And I didn't believe it at first, but I do now. And I really appreciate because my personality is so close to hers. 
And I just think that she picked me to help tell her story mm -hmm. and I am honored to do so. I'm honored to be a living historian and to have the opportunities that I do to, to share her history. She has an incredible story. And, and I do appreciate you featuring her on a full episode here tonight and for having me on to talk about her. And I, I firmly believe that a person never truly dies until we stop talking about them. Mm -hmm. So she is definitely, um, I think that her story is out there more now. And I intend to keep telling it the best I can for as long as I can. Oh, well, you do. No, you are. You are. You're the only thing you think of Pauline Cushman, you think of you with this stuff. And that, that's, a, that's a testament to you. And I know you do. You travel a lot. You do a lot of presentations. You just did one last weekend at a college. And you, you go did. to Gettysburg all the time. So, you, so you, you're, you're, you know, a lot of people read and they study, but you're, you're, you're literally bringing her to life, which is awesome. It's just, that's just awesome. It just is. Well, thank you. And I tell her full story. I believe that these people, we need to connect people with the humanity of these individuals of history. Absolutely. It's so easy to read about them in a book or a statistic, yep. but these people of our history are so much more than that. And I am, I believe in, in being objective and balanced historian. I do talk about her heroics and the things that she did and the sacrifices she made. And I also talk about Yes, she did like the whiskey. Yes, she was mm -hmm. addicted to painkillers. So I tell both the, the tragic as well as the heroic side of her story, because I think that she deserves that. Absolutely. I think that's like, that's such an important part of history is because these people are human. That's why we're here to bring their stories to life. And I know I completely relate to They Pick You because you know, ever since I found out who Sarah Edmonds was, I've made it my goal when I'm done grad school, I want to start learning more about her and portraying her because I see a lot of myself and her with like, I mean, she was a Canadian. So am I, she goes to the U S so did I, it's just, you know, they, I think they definitely do pick you to tell their story and you do an amazing, as Darren said, you do an amazing job with it. Like I've seen you, like, you. you and I've been friends for quite a few years and like, I've seen you <laughs> doing it for years and how you've evolved. Like, you know, you just like, you've brought her to life so much in those years and all the new like I love when you like you're like I found something new about her it's so exciting that's the exciting part about doing this is when you find something new it's another piece to the puzzle and it's another connection and you really start to see the more each of us study these individuals the more we, the pieces of this puzzle of the civil war come together and we see how connected everything actually is oh to, absolutely like to everything and, and and Cushman has inspired me. Um, you know, she was a badass. Oh, yeah. And she yeah. And she inspires me. When I got into living history, I was in a very dark period of my life. I was in an abusive marriage. I started to study her. And I said, hell, if Pauline can do it in the 19th century, I sure as hell can do it now. And so she inspires me. And that's why I want to tell her story. And I'm always looking, like you said, for something new to mm -hmm. share, because I don't think we can, as much as you think you may know, there's something else out there that you don't. Exactly. And we never know it all. We never, like, we can never know everything because there's always something else out there, you know. Absolutely. Well, the thirst of knowledge is, is endless. It, the cup is it never ends. So, so a lot of good stuff. Check out uh, check out MG and the, the Gettysburg Battlefield. These honored dead Facebook page, by the way. But we can't forget about that. She does oh, trivia. She does um she does all kinds of cool. Yeah, the things trivia on Saturday does. nights. Great is awesome. Yes, and great prizes. Yeah. Yes, if anybody's great looking prize. for for a great Facebook page, uh, Gettysburg. These honored dead. Uh, just go like it. Answer the questions has to be part of it because the trivia on Saturday nights is awesome and there's different themes every day for pictures to post yeah, and all that. We do that. a book club as well. Yep. What's We're your... going to be starting our next book. What, uh, what's Mead, the next book? Uh, a, a Mead, A Study in Command by Kent Masterson Brown. That book is so good. And I think we're going to have Kent join us and then after that I think we're going to do Sickles of Gettysburg. We'll have Jim Hessler on with us. So, uh, but yeah, I do that. And if anyone ever has any questions on, on Cushman or such, they can find me through you guys or find me yep. on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and, um, but. No, but yeah. Definitely follow Gettysburg Battle for these honored dead. You can like all the pictures you want. No one's going to get mad. You can really that enjoy that. That is right. That. We welcome people to post photos yes. and to like them. And like them all, every single one. So what's coming up for us, Mary? What's 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 coming on the pike for us? Our next episode is going to be the Pratt Street Riots in Baltimore. 
And then after that, we will be joined by um, Dr. Peter Carmichael to talk about the Futch letters. Um, he was a soldier at Gettysburg. Uh, so we're going to talk about Futch and those letters with Dr. Carmichael from Gettysburg College. Um, we will not be doing a our YouTube live stream for the next couple weekends because we are going to be away at different Civil War sites. So we will be going back to our Facebook lives, but they will be at random times. So if you have liked our Facebook page, you should get a notification. That's just an easier format for us to do when we were out kind of touring around different places. But our next YouTube live stream will be Sunday, April 16th at 10 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And on Wednesday, April 19th is our next book club meeting where we will be joined by Dr. Timothy Smith to talk about The Real Horse Soldiers, which is about Benjamin Gerson's raid. A lot of good stuff coming for us down the pike. Next week, it will be in Richmond. Lisa Sammy is going to be doing a presentation at the Civil War Museum. So if you're in the area, come on by. And then after that, we got some fun stuff to do. So all right. So we got a lot of fun stuff, fun, fun, fun yeah. stuff coming, easy for me to say. And uh, any final words from you, Fincheru? No, thank you to all of our listeners. And thank you to you, MJ, for joining us for this episode. It was an honor to have you and the good major on with us tonight, too. It was. Mayor, that the pleasure was all yours, but for MJ, for me, the pleasure was all mine. So it's great to have you on, have you join us. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. You're welcome. Anytime. Thank you to everyone who supports me in my endeavors in the Civil War community and beyond. I truly appreciate it. And that's how we're going to keep these names and stories alive. Exactly. That's our job. That's that's what we do. So, all right. So, everybody, thanks for listening to me again. This episode will be on YouTube at some point tonight. And this will drop over the weekend. So have a safe, good weekend. Mary, 162 and 0. What's happening this year? I'm telling you, I feel feeling good this year. I'm Are you referring good. to my Cleveland? Uh, oh, yeah, there? absolutely. Absolutely. Cleveland. Cleveland's act. I just found out that was mathematical eliminate already. I just found out my ESPN is telling me. So, but hey, it's okay. You do you. You do you. So, me and I will have a little fun with MJ with the Yankees all summer <laughs> long, I'm sure. So, we'll see how that goes. All right. So, everybody, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you all on the other side. Stay healthy, stay safe. Hope your team loses tomorrow, unless you're a fan of the Red Sox. So off we go. Hey, everybody. See y'all later.